Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, a show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform of course you choose to follow us on. And guys, we've had a nice little break away, which has uh, been rather relaxing, but most of it was just to recuperate as Courtney and myself were not feeling uh, at our best. It must be said, but we are well rested and ready to get back into it. And no less, of course, than the opportunity to discuss the Russian Grand Prix. So, of course, guys, thank you very much for being with us. We really, really appreciate your patience. And we are back and ready to get stuck into another episode. And, of course, joining me already, as I've mentioned, is my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, of course, first of all, how are you doing? Looking sharp? Are you feeling Are you feeling better? Yeah, feeling refreshed. Um, having a having a week away to myself as a... Uh done a lot of good and we've got a race weekend to look forward to so that always helps so yeah fully ready for it yep absolutely right we have got a race to look forward to and given the myriad of reasons that it was probably wise to take a short little break in the aftermath of what we saw at the Italian Grand Prix um, I mean it's quite convenient actually when something like this happens and of course if you're not already aware I'm referring to the incident between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen at the Italian Grand Prix which has been At the centre of so much debate, it seems every person involved in Formula One, whether they be a driver, a fan, a pundit, or just a couple of idiots like us on a podcast talking about it, everyone seems to have an opinion. And um, sometimes, you know, it can be one that sides with one driver or another, or you can try to be impartial as you like and just call it for what it is. You know, it doesn't really matter. Everyone's got their opinion on it. And they've certainly had no... Uh, fear in sharing that but that being said it is quite interesting that something like this happens and we have a nice little break to kind of uh, detensify let everybody calm down and settle down and cool the burners if you like before we get back into some more racing action where more often than not more conflicts and more incidents are waiting for us right around the corner but of course that's what we love about f1 it's always drama every which way that you look and we always love talking about it and seeing where the next chapter of this season takes us but nonetheless of course Courtney first thing is first I've got the Russian Grand Prix coming up but I wanted to spend a little bit of time just to talk about what's been going on behind the scenes whilst we've been away and whilst F1 has been on a little bit of a mini break and some developing stories have been going on in the driver market no less of course than at Aston Martin now 
Aston Martin, we expected them to confirm their driver lineup for next season with Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll driving for the team in 2022. We can say that that has been confirmed by the team itself. And first things first, Courtney, are you surprised that Aston Martin had to make this announcement? Or did you feel that, you know, perhaps there was reason to feel that maybe Seb and Lance Stroll would not be in the team next season? Uh, I mean, I'm not surprised, really. Um, you know, I think we all thought that Stroll and Vettel would be the lineup, which obviously they've turned out to be. Um, but I, I suppose there's no harm in, um, you know, Aston Martin as a team. They're very ambitious. So they might have been keeping their options open. Um, Sebastian Vettel, he's improved this season, but he seems like the type of guy that would that could walk away from Formula 1 prematurely. Um, he's got pl- plenty of passions outside of the sport. He's a four-time world champion. He doesn't really have much else to prove. So he, he might have been, maybe Sebastian Vettel himself was thinking, you know what, this might be... I've, I've had enough. It's time for me to move on. So there might have been slight, slight doubts about that, but obviously they're both going to be around for next season. And I think with Sebastian Vettel, I think he'll be, he's been very vocal about his dislike for the V6 um, turbo hybrid engines. So it'd be interesting to see how he reacts to the big regulation changes next year. And I've got a feeling if he doesn't like it, I've got a feeling next season could be his last. Yeah. I mean, I was under the impression that Seb had signed a multi-year deal with the team. Maybe that's the sort of proviso that they're going on, but it's not something that he has to honour if he feels like either he is not uh, in a position where he feels like he's happy with how things are going, or perhaps if Aston Martin aren't happy with how things are going. I mean, let's not forget, Aston Martin have you know rather conveniently taken a huge gamble on Sebastian Vettel being the colossal leader of the team, if you like, for this new project that they've embarked on in the medium term. And it's a project that is in very much inspired and enthralled both sides, if you think about it. I mean, you, on the one side, you've got Sebastian Vettel, who was looking for something new to get stuck into um, after his dismissal from Ferrari. And, uh, you know, the opportunity to present a, a lot of opportunities and a lot of potential, which they haven't tapped into as of yet. But there certainly are signs that they are going in the right direction. And perhaps this overhaul of regulations that you've already mentioned is the catalyst to see the fruition of their labours and their and their hopes in this project. And perhaps the best of Vettel as well. We have seen hallmarks of uh, Seb returning to somewhat of his best. I don't think we can really gauge at this point in time how how well Seb is driving compared to his absolute peak. I think it must be said he's certainly not there yet. But there have been some races, particularly... Uh, at Monaco, Baku, the Hungary race, of course, which um, unfortunately got disqualified from through no fault of his own, that we saw Seb at a much higher level than perhaps we'd seen at Ferrari in the last couple of years. So there is some hope there. But of course, Aston Martin, having a driver like Lance Stroll in their team, obviously, you know, Lance is a solid driver. I, I don't think he'd be happy being a number two, but he's certainly shown this season that he can be solid, but quite not at the level of a number one driver that they would want in their team to take them going forward. So there is a lot of reliance on Seb to really take this team forward in the direction it wants to, to a point where it can become a race-winning team and maybe a world championship challenging team. So the question remains, can Sebastian Vettel be that guy? And they've signed him up to another year which means that obviously it's going to be reviewed again this time next year. And as you said, Courtney, perhaps if this project doesn't work out well for Seb or he's not performing to the level that perhaps he feels he needs to be or Aston Martin feel he needs to be, 
then there could be some room perhaps to consider other options. And there's a myriad of drivers, not just in the grid on the grid right now, but also outside of Formula One that will be looking in and thinking, there's an opportunity, Aston Martin here, to prove um, not just, you know, to prove to themselves that they can be that guy that Aston Martin wants Sebastian Vettel to be and lead the team forward. And in return, they can end up being in a position where they could be challenging for race wins and world championships in the future. Yeah, I think with Aston Martin, as I said earlier on, they're, they're very ambitious. They're very vocal. Um, I think today they pointed uh, Martin Whitmarsh, who was pretty much uh, a big figure at McLaren a few years ago. So they're certainly uh, certainly making statements for the future. They're building um, new facilities, aren't they? New wind tunnel, new facilities to aim to become a world championship contending team. So, of course, they're going to be an uh, attractive prospect for any driver looking to join. And there could be some drivers, I don't know, like uh, Pierre Gasly, for example, that might want to be a leader of a team. So they could be, they, they, there are plenty of drivers that would be interested in the Aston Martin move if it has become available. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, you mentioned Martin Whitmarsh, of course, uh, joining up as their CEO of uh, track, well, track operations for a, a shorter way of putting it. Um, I'm not 100% sure of the actual title, but it's along those lines and um, and the performance of the car as well. A man who very much has experience of being in a championship winning team with McLaren. He knows how to win races and I'm sure his experience will be very valuable to the team. It seems that Lawrence Stroll at the moment um, is very much leading a, um, uh, how would you put it, very much leading an operation or a team, if you like. Um, and he's really bringing in a lot of experts into this project that Aston Martin are making, uh, which is always encouraging because I think sometimes when you have people that want to kind of lead, that have an outside perspective of Formula One where they don't know the inner workings, even though they're very interested in it, they don't know what goes on inside the top teams and they're able to bring people around them that do have that knowledge and that expertise and galvanize them and put them together so that they can be a part of a project and lead it going forward which delivers success at the end of the day you know that's important um and, and I think Aston Martin are going about it in the right way as you said they're bringing in new facilities and everything else there's tons of investment going on and the question for them next season will be is Sebastian Vettel the right man to lead us going forward? And more importantly, does Sebastian Vettel want to be the man to lead them going forward? There could be a situation next year where Sebastian Vettel's just not enjoying Formula One um, like perhaps we'd think he is. He may decide to call it a day. I mean, he's spoken quite often about his future being quite volatile in the sport. There are a lot of people that thought he might call it a day last season when Ferrari got rid of him. Um, And there are a lot of people that feel that Sebastian Vettel may not be around longer than the next year or so. So, is that surprising for you to hear that from Sebastian Vettel? I mean, if you were Aston Martin, would you feel very confident and positive when your lead driver, your colossal, if you like, in this team is more concerned about life after Formula One than the project that he's currently embarking on right now? I mean, in a way, it's understandable. If you think about it, if any driver has gone from a position where they've won multiple world championships to then been in a position where they're challenging for world championships and then they know their own form has dipped. So may, maybe Sebastian might feel like the best is past him and he might want to be using that energy on other projects. So it would surprise me if we saw Sebastian go into another form of motorsport. But he seems to be very keen on engineering and like um, does look like repairs on old bikes and stuff like that as well. So that's what I mean. The, the, the guy's achieved a lot in Formula 1 He's got plenty of other passions. So as I said earlier on, he's one of those people 
that whose sole focus is on Formula One. There are some drivers who live and breathe Formula One. And as much as Sebastian does obviously love to sport, he has other interests as well. So it wouldn't be as difficult for him to walk away compared to other drivers. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, I mean, we could go on about this a bit further, but of course we'll have to move on to other topics. But it is quite interesting. Um, Guys, incidentally, of course, let us know what you think about this situation with Aston Martin and Sebastian Vettel. Do you feel that Sebastian Vettel is the right man to lead Aston Martin going forward? Or do you feel that perhaps they need to see where this goes next year and perhaps consider other options? And if so, who would you like to see in the Aston Martin in 2023 going forward? Obviously, realistic options. It's not chucking anything silly like, oh, Chuck Lewis Hamilton in the Aston Martin, see how he can do in a car that's not winning a world championship at the moment, you know. So realistic answers, please, if you can. But let us know what you think about the Aston Martin situation because it is quite interesting. And this decision that they make to decide who to pin their hopes on for beyond 2022 could be crucial to whether or not that they can deliver a world championship in the next few years. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, Another thing that happened in the break was the release of the Schumacher documentary on Netflix. Uh, Obviously, for those of you that don't know, there was a documentary in the works talking about the life and career of Michael Schumacher, a bit similar to the Senna one in that regard, and that was released on Netflix on the 15th of September, so the Friday just gone. Um, Courtney, did you see it? Um, No, I haven't seen it. I'm one of the few people on this planet that doesn't actually have Netflix, so you're going to have to... uh, you're going to have to plug away, Adam, because I haven't actually seen it yet. I'm going to have to lend you my Netflix then. If you're, if you need, <laughs> I would definitely recommend it. I mean, obviously, I'm a diehard Schumacher fan, so there is a bias here. And of course, I saw it the moment it was released on Netflix. Of course, I was going to watch it. Um, at the time when I watched it, I, I thought it was really, really good. I thought it was well made. Um, it, it does, It does get quite emotional. I think what it was for me in particular, and of course... I grew up watching Michael Schumacher's career, majority of his career. Of course, he started in Formula 1 before I was even born. Um, not by much, but, you know, so obviously I wasn't able to follow every single race. Um, but for me, it was really, really nice to see all that come together. I like the story that they went with to talk about the struggles Michael had when he went to Ferrari and how hard it was for him to win his first championship from the highs of Japan in 2000 when, of course, he won that race to be world champion for the first time at Ferrari. And, of course, the low moments, for example, Jerez in 1997 crashing into Jack Villeneuve and getting disqualified from the world championship as a result. Um, so it was really, really nice to get a further insight to Michael's dedication. He was built like no one else in that regard. Like he, You hear of drivers that are determined to work hard now. Michael Schumacher was not just a pioneer, but he was in a league of his own. Even compared to today's drivers, he was something else. Um, And it just goes to show how special he was. And as a Schumacher fan, I could really appreciate that. As I said, for me, the emotional part come when you hear his wife, Corinna, um, his daughter, Gina, and son, Mick, who obviously races in F1 now, talking about how, how they've had to carry on with their lives and how much Michael meant to them um, and how, you know, how great he was as a person to be around. And obviously, the, you know, the the insight that they can give on his situation. I think his wife put it best in that he's still here, but different. Um, and you could see the emotion in her face. And it was really hard to watch because you could see how much of a factor Corinna had been in his career, um, not just on the track, but off it, obviously, and how much she clearly misses him, at least the Michael she remembered every day, which was quite hard to watch. But I definitely recommend it. The only critique I would say is that there were some parts that they glossed over. Perhaps it could have made it into a 
a five or six part series like The Last Dance was for anyone who knows that documentary about the Chicago Bulls team in the 90s. Something like that would have been pretty cool, but it was still really good and I definitely definitely recommend it for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, so obviously another thing that they were talking about in the break was it looks like we're making progress now on the engine front for 2025 onwards. Now I'm not going to get All into right. this too much because it's not the fun thing to talk about. The takeaway is it seems like there's been an agreement in place where the new engine regulations are not going to include the MGUH. And long story short, guys, for those of you that don't know what the MGUH is, it's basically the part of the power unit that harvests and recovers energy through heat and turns it back into electric power to recharge the batteries. Um, It's one of the more complicated and expensive pieces of equipment on the power unit. And it's something that they've been talking about for many, many years to try and uh, get rid of. Um, I remember in the 2021 engine regulations when those were being discussed uh, quite a few years ago, that came up and a lot of the teams weren't happy to get rid of it because they'd spent a lot of money on it. It was quite complicated. And this has been the real sticking point to newer engine manufacturers like the Volkswagen Group, for example, coming into Formula One because, of course, they'd come in at a deficit and have to spend a lot of money and you've got the existing manufacturers that would say, well, look, we spent all this money, we put all this R&D into so it, we don't want to get rid of it. It does seem now that they've come to an agreement on that. So from 2025 onwards, they haven't formally uh, confirmed it yet and released what the uh, changes are going to be for the engines, but it does seem we're going to get very similar engines to what we have now, but without the MGUH. Um, it seems that F1's now going in the direction of trying to find uh, renewable synthetic fuels Um, in contrast to improving on engine technology. And the reason for that is because, um, other than the reasons I've already said, with the complexity and not being able to attract new engine manufacturers in there as a result, teams as well. But also, despite F1 engines currently being around over 50% thermal efficiency, which is incredible, that technology has not really been passed down into production cars. Um, I know Mercedes was saying that they were going to incorporate this technology into a new range of production cars from next year onwards but they're probably the only ones doing that and ferrari to a very very small degree and those aren't exactly regular consumer production cars those are like for those of you that have a nice million quid in your back pocket that you got to burn you can buy a a hybrid ferrari or something like that it's just not going to happen so they've had to get rid of it um but what this does do is it allows the volkswagen group who've been very much involved in these discussions to try and uh, form a synergy in Formula One. And it seems like they're going to be doing so with Red Bull. Um, And Red Bull, of course, have been taking over the powertrain situation uh, from Honda. Um, And they've always wanted to try and bring in the Volkswagen Group to set up some sort of partnership. But it looks like that's going to happen. I don't know how that's going to work in terms of may share the financial burden like Alpine and Renault do, or the facilities, or put a badge on it, whether it's going to be Porsche or Audi or something else like that. We'll have to wait and see. But what is key about this, Courtney, and I think what I want to ask you about, is it seems that the political landscape of Formula One is changing once again. Before, of course, Ferrari were very much at the forefront of it with McLaren. Ferrari still held on to that veto power um, even now. Not that they really use it anymore. Um, They have it, but they don't really use it. Um, They've actually been quite open, which is very much un-Ferrari-like, but it's always good for the sport, which is nice. Mercedes have very much had the stranglehold from the political side of things. And I mean this not in a way that the FIA are favourable to Mercedes. I think the influence Mercedes have has been a lot stronger than anyone else's, uh, particularly with Toto Wolff in particular. Um, But it seems now that it's very much shifting towards Red Bull a lot more. Um, 
Overall, Courtney, do you expect this to have an impact on the hierarchy in Formula One in terms of not just a political perspective, but a competitive one? Or do you feel that it's good that more of these manufacturers like Red Bull, as well as Mercedes and Ferrari, are now more have more of an influence on um, the changes and the future of Formula One rather than it just being controlled by a few parties that are currently holding it at the moment? I think the... The more impact multiple teams can have, the better. Um, I think what Formula One is lacking at the moment is a lack of manufacturers and in return teams as well. And because of that, we're seeing a lot of young drivers, good young drivers, missing out on opportunities to showcase their talent in Formula One. So I'm pleased that, you know, some of the teams have had a stranglehold in the past to sort of maybe taking these situations into consideration and thinking, you know what, for the for the sake of the sport moving forward, we need to make these compromises to improve it. Because having three or four manufacturers and only 20, 20 cars on a grid, for example, I, I, just, I just don't think it's good enough. You want to be seeing the best talent on the show. And with the limited amount of seats, we're missing out. You want to be seeing more manufacturers as well because Formula One isn't only a competition between drivers. It's competition between manufacturers who can create the best machinery. So you want to be seeing as many people involved in this as possible. So if this if this sort of shift in uh, politics at the top benefits the sport going forward, then I'll certainly welcome it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important for the engine regulations going forward that we have something in place that kind of appeases both sides. I mean, it's always nice to have new manufacturers involved like the Volkswagen Group who have been very vocal in how these regulations are going to be shaped. But as Total Wolf mentioned, that it's always fine to incorporate these companies into getting involved, but if they're just going to do this and have a say and not actually put the money up and actually get interested in get involved in the sport from a competitive perspective, then we're just wasting our time. And he's absolutely right. I, I would not want the regulations changed for an outside party that promises the world and then doesn't deliver because they're not interested. You're just changing the sport for the sake of doing it and it just compromises everybody else. So I think that was the issue back in 2021. But it seems that everybody has agreed that, um, you know, whilst the turbo hybrid era, particularly with the MGUH in terms of what it can offer, has been rather successful to the sustainability of Formula One, which must be said is as sustainable as anything that you could possibly find, with perhaps with the exception of Formula E. And of course, F1 can't go down that route because Formula E is, is exclusive in 100% electrical power up until 2035, I believe, or something like that. Um, it, it, it seems that it served its purpose. And, you know, from a financial perspective and a feasibility perspective and part of the show as well, because the MGUH is one of the factors which creates the uh, less than favourable noise that we hear today compared to the older cars although to be fair I've gotten quite used to it as I said it seems to have served its purpose and it seems to drive for synthetic biofuels and sustainable fuels etc which is still rather primitive in terms of the technology but it seems that's where the ambition and the drive is going to go going forward from sustainability which I think is a much more favourable option for the sport Anyway, that long engine monologue aside I just wanted to kind of sum over that because we could yeah, we could, it is important, um, and I think, you know, it, it is a good news story for Red Bull in particular. I think they'll be very happy with this outcome, and this isn't me saying the paradigm is now shifting into their hands after Mercedes and obviously Ferrari before them, but I think it's important that we have more t- manufacturers involved and more teams involved, and let's be honest, Red Bull, over the last 20 years, 
have been very involved in Formula and invested a lot of money, as much as Mercedes and Ferrari have in particular, and of course Renault too. So I think they should have more of a say in how the sport is governed and how it's run going forward. And I hope this encourages more manufacturers to come into the sport and have a say as well. It's only going to be more healthy for the fans in terms of the competitive perspective. So it's important to sort of talk about that and see where we go. But let us know what you think, obviously, of the news. For those of you that are interested in the engine story, are you happy with the possibility of the MGUH being removed from the regulations? And do you think it will create a better racing in terms of the engine war for 2025 onwards? We'll have to wait and see. Of course, Courtney, one other driver transfer that we should talk about that we haven't yet mentioned is the one at Alfa Romeo. Um, now, of course, Valtteri Bottas was confirmed as an Alfa Romeo driver for next season onwards um, before the Italian Grand Prix. And the story remains of who's going to be his teammate. Before, we heard rumours that Antonio Giovinazzi might keep his seat, although this was predominantly from the Italian media who have a very much invested interest in him. Not that we believe that those stories had any merit, but of course, you never really know. But uh, it seems that the front runner as we expected, is Guan Yu Zhou, who's currently, I believe, second in the F2 standings. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, in the comments. Um, but, you know, it, it seems that there are other options available to them. Why do you think, perhaps, if it is true that Alfa Romeo are going for Guan Yu Zhou, why do you think they're going in that direction and perhaps not in the direction of someone who I think is a, could be a better fit, like Oscar Piastri, who incidentally is leading the F2 championship and doing rather well? Funding. It's as simple as that. And it's the Guan Yu Zhou situation is, you know, it's one of the situations that frustrates the fans. You want to be seeing the best drivers in Formula One for their talent alone. And look, I get it. You know, you know, Formula One is far from a fairy tale world. Money speaks a lot in it. You know, there's a lot of money in Formula One. So funding is a big part of it. Um, but it's, it's, it's just one of those things that, unfortunately, I, I, hope, I hope the culture does change where the talent does speak over money. Guan Yu Zhou isn't the worst driver, but there are other drivers that you'd want to be seeing in Formula One before Guan Yu Zhou. Um, so it's a bit of a shame that we're not seeing, he says, someone like Piastri or even in the future, someone like Borchair, who's clearly an exciting young driver. Um, but it is what it is. We've seen it before. You know, uh, we've seen some drivers who should not have even been in Formula One, but just got there because of uh, daddy's money. But it is what it is, Adam. It is what it is. Yeah, I mean, the topic of money usually comes up a lot when we talk about young drivers. Who's the next driver to break through into the sport? And it's always important to look into the feeder series to see who the next stars are. And it seems that at the moment, the uh, routes to Formula One seem to be very, very minor at the moment. There don't seem to be many of them. And, um, you know, look, I, I'm, I like Guan Yu Zhou. I think he's a very, very good driver. And I think he will offer, at the very least, as much as Giovinazzi does to the current grid for next season, if Guan Yu Zhou gets the call. Of course, you know, the money element can't be ignored. There's a lot of financial backing. There's definitely an interest and a massive drive from the Chinese fan base to have a Chinese driver in Formula One. I don't believe it's happened before. Again, quote me in the comments if I'm wrong, but I believe he will be the first Chinese-born driver in Formula One. Um, So it, it does make sense to have a driver like that in there. Of course, he's not going to be in the sport just because of money and where he's from. He is a very talented driver. I felt that his window of opportunity or his opportunity to prove that he was ready for Formula One um, very much was opened about a year or two ago 
in F2, but it was quite underwhelming over those two years. This year, he's kind of put it all together in the most parts, and he's doing a rather good job in F2. But once again, it seems that the drivers that he should have been beating, the likes of Mick Schumacher and Nick DeVries and Callum Eilert, for etc., he wasn't able to do that. And uh, now those opportunities have passed him by, and now there's a new generation of drivers coming in, as you said, like Oscar Piastri and Teo Porcher. And it seems like, you know, okay, he's second at the moment, doing a good job, but Piastri has overhauled him. Robert Schwartzman isn't too far away. If it wasn't for his bad start, he would have done that as well. Teo Porcher certainly looks promising. And Porcher, I think, is like six years younger than Joe. I think Joe's like nearly 25. I might, again, I might be wrong, but I think he's pretty much close to his mid-20s. So... It does make you wonder for the long-term project for Alfa Romeo, what can Guan Yu Zhou offer from a driving perspective alongside Valtteri Bottas for the long-term that perhaps someone like Oscar Piastri could do or maybe even Teo Porcher. Of course, Porcher seems to be very much an interest for them, but I don't think he's ready this season. I think he needs another year in F2. Um, I think Piastri has proven that he could be ready already, but again, another year in F2 wouldn't hurt. The only problem is, is that he's very, very close to winning it, which of course would put that into a bit of a, uh, into a bit of a mess, I suppose, in a way that what ca- happened to, well, not happened to Callum Eilert, but it has happened to Nick DeVries, if you like. He's obviously had to try and go the roundabout way back into Formula 1, and he still hasn't made it there yet. So, certainly a lot of questions. Again, we'll have to wait for formal confirmation, but it does seem that the, it's going towards Guan Yu Zhou for next season. Mm. Um, and I look forward to seeing what he can do. You never know. He, he probably could be ready for it. he's done a lot of running for Renault and in the Alpine project as well so we could be wrong and he could be performing just as well as Valtteri Bottas but it's going to be a nice little barometer to measure him against in someone like Valtteri Bottas who we expect he's going to do rather well assuming Alfa Romeo provide them with a car that's good enough to do well next season yeah I just with Alfa Romeo they're just in the last I think since Leclerc left They've been one of the teams that have given me the least enthusiasm. So like, even when we go through race reviews and stuff, we'll go, let's go to Alfa Romeo. They finished 11th and 12th. Like, they've offered sort of like glimpses of like entertainment or bringing moments to the race, but they've offered so little. And, and I just feel that this move is so underwhelming. And I just think, yeah, they, they, they're going to get good funding. They're going to obviously have the Chinese fan base behind them. Like, clearly, it'll be good for them in that sense. But in terms of the general audience, like, you look at Alfa Romeo and go, OK, the Bottas movie would be interesting. See how Bottas gets on. Apart from that, you know, just meh. You know, like, you look at, like, most other teams and they have something excited about them, apart from maybe, let's say, even with Haas, they have Mick Schumacher, the son of Michael Schumacher. They have that feel-good story about them. You look at Alfa Romeo and it's just, yeah, and, and, and I think that move kind of sums up where they are. They're very boring moves. You know, you want something to excite the fans for next season. I don't really think Alfa Romeo offer that. Yeah, I understand what you mean, actually. And of course, a lot of that appeal with them kind of goes with Kimi Raikkonen, who's retiring mm-hmm. at the end of the season. Um, call it gimmicky or call it meme-worthy, whatever you want. But Kimi has always offered a lot of appeal, not just as a you know, from his moments out of the car or on the radio or whatever, but driving as well. Um, and it seems that Valtteri Bottas is very much going to fill that void and if not, do more for that next season, given his age and, you know, where the level he's driving to even still at the moment. But of course, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Guan Yu Zhou to match that next season, assuming he does get the seat. Um, 
and he will have to showcase his ability rather early because there will be other people knocking on that door for that seat in 2023. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see how that works out and who gets that seat in the end. But guys, let us know what you think. Who's going to get that seat for Alfa Romeo? Who would you like to see in that seat next season? And um, if it's Guan Yuzhou, how do you think he's going to get on? Um, I mean, we should mention the Haas situation as well a little bit. Um, apparently Gunther Steiner said that they're going to confirm their news rather soon. I mean, it's the Grand, it's the Russian Grand Prix weekend, so I wouldn't be surprised if they were delaying uh, to announce it at that weekend because it's going to be Nikita Mazepin's home race. It seems that Mick Schumacher, obviously, they just want to make sure everything's happy there. But um, are you expecting any surprises from us in terms of their driver announcements? Oh, I thought the only sort of uh, stiff of a change could possibly be Mick Schumacher going to Alfa Romeo. Um, but given the Guan Yu Zhou news seems pretty likely, he doesn't really have anywhere else to go. So I imagine he'll stick with Pass for another season. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a very volatile situation at the moment between mm. Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin. No less, of course, because of what happened at the Italian Grand Prix. It just seems that, you know, a lot of people have said it, and I absolutely agree with this. For a team that absolutely has no expectations of their drivers other than to just pick up experience, fight fair against each other, so that when they have a car next year that's capable of doing more, they'll be up to the task. The last thing that they need is for those two to be going at each other on a regular basis and causing unnecessary incidents and crashes between the two of them that the team can really ill afford, not just from a financial perspective in terms of the money to fix the cars, but also for the driver's experience, because the last thing they need to be doing is spinning each other off or crashing into each other or whatever. They just need to go up there, notch up the miles and pick up the experience and then go next season when you've got a car capable of doing it. I think the other issue is if the two drivers aren't getting on, that can affect the development of the car. Yeah, I think that was always that was always concern at Mercedes when Lewis and Nico were uh, battling. You know, you get the feeling that if other teams are closer, that could have been a real issue. And Haas are already in a sticky situation. You don't expect them to be moving anywhere really next season. So they need their drivers to have a good working relationship, flat team to improve. Mm. And it's even worse so that unlike Lewis and Nico, two former world, well, one is a current world champion and a former world champion, you've got two rookies that probably don't know anywhere near as much as what those two knew about Formula One cars and how to develop them, etc. So Huss are really, really relying on their wits and their experience outside the two drivers that they have, if anything, in spite of that. So we'll have to wait and see how that transpires. But it's a situation right now that I don't expect to get any better anytime soon. And perhaps because we're going to Russia, Nikita might feel even more inclined to be the aggressor, knowing that he's got the home support on his side and that... You know, Mick Schumacher potentially could be public enemy number one over there, even though they're in the same team. It's a crazy thought to think about with your own teammate, especially when they're fighting for practically nothing other than bragging rights. Um, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that foot goes this weekend. Speaking of which, of course, we should really get into this weekend's race. Uh, we are meant to be previewing it as the title of the episode suggests. Um, and I suppose, Courtney, the first place that we need to go for this weekend is, of course, the battle at the front of the championship between Lewis Hamilton and and Max Verstappen. Another take, another chapter in the tale. Of course, two weeks following the uh, crash between the two at the Italian Grand Prix, which took them both out. And I think it was kind of summed up brilliantly by, um, I think it was, uh, I'm trying to remember his name now, Mark Hughes, uh, the F1 journalist. I think, again, if I misquote, correct me in the comments, but he basically defined the incident or summarized it. Um, is that Hamilton was under no obligation to yield, especially as Verstappen was always behind. 
but Verstappen was under no rulebook obligation not to try to force Hamilton to yield. In that ambiguity, danger lies. And the reason why I think that sums that incident up so well, Courtney, where it leads us here, is that it's kind of pretty much defined the contrast and conflict around the opinions that so many people have had, whether you're pro-Lewis in this or you're pro-Max or you felt it was a racing incident. It now brings us to Russia, another race where these two could potentially go head-to-head. Again, you know, a lot of us have probably said, and myself included, that Red Bull will probably take the engine penalties at this race because Max has the free-place grid penalty. But then that brings up a possibility of two other options. One, what if they don't and Max is able to take that penalty and still battle Lewis anyway? What happens then? And even worse for Mercedes... What happens if Red Bull take that penalty and Max still finds a way to end up alongside Lewis in the race? You know, so I guess we've got to ask the same question, regardless of all of those scenarios, Courtney. Will these two collide again this season? Could it be this weekend? They will collide. It's just a case of where it will happen. I, I just, unless they've had a serious word of them in the stewards' office um, in Monza, it's, it's bound to happen again. We've seen plenty of incidents this season already where if Lewis hadn't had yielded, they would have crashed. They would have crashed. I know they've already crashed twice, but there would have been even more crashes if Lewis hadn't have pulled out in those other situations. So it's inevitable. And obviously, and as, as the pressure builds up in this championship and these sort of moments become more and more important, you're more likely to see them come together. And I think Lewis will start to become more desperate in these situations because Red Bull do seem to have a slight pace advantage. So if Lewis gets an opportunity to overtake Max, he will go for it. Yeah. So I think they're definitely so, yeah. gonna we're definitely gonna see them come together. This weekend it'll be interesting to see the decision Red Bull make with the um engine penalty. Um but I expect Mercedes to be stronger and I think Valtteri Bottas will be stronger as well. So this weekend I, I know I said it for Monza but I really feel this weekend is vital for Mercedes and Lewis Hammond. Absolutely vital. Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right to point that out. Um, I very much expect Red Bull to take the engine penalties with Max, and we very much could see Max Verstappen starting dead last this weekend. Um, they've talked about having to take this engine penalty at some point. It could be this weekend. And this is a track as well where I feel Red Bull could very much... They could go into this race with the deficit that they will most likely have to the rest of the field on on the grid. But Max is more than capable enough with that new engine, whether he decides to use it this weekend is a different matter, um, and fight his way out the field, where at the very least he could probably finish third and mitigate any damage that's caused. And if there's any fortune from any problems for Mercedes, then they can take advantage of that. But this is a track, of course, as you mentioned, Courtney, quite rightly, that Mercedes will very much feel confident. Um, it is a power-sensitive circuit in some regards, despite... It's street-like nature. But Mercedes have historically been very, very strong here. I don't, am I right in thinking that they've won every single race at the Russian Grand Prix? So, yep. Yeah, since it's been on the calendar. So there you go. I mean, that's proving the point right there. They're going to be the heavy favourites this weekend, even more so. Um, Baltu Bottas is very much an important part of that. This is arguably his best circuit, uh, his favourite circuit as well. He's won quite a few times here. So... What's going to happen there? I mean, Valtteri drove brilliantly at the Italian Grand Prix, arguably his best weekend this season. And, you know, if it wasn't for his grid panel, he could have very much won the race itself. I mean, it just goes to show that despite that, he was still able to finish on the podium. So there is some hope for Red Bull, but 
What are you expecting from Valtteri this weekend? Is he going to support Lewis? Or if there's an opportunity at a win for him, he may try and go and take it, given what might happen to Verstappen. It's, it's a possibility, but I, I don't know. I, I feel that Valtteri wanted to prove his point last weekend, then he did just that. So and I, and I just think with the interest of the championship, and he will, and he's made it clear he want to be a good team player. So I do expect, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, Valtteri Bottas starts on pole and then he lets Lewis throw. This this is obviously, hypothetically speaking, they're, they're strong and they don't have any challenges from behind them. He will eventually let Lewis pass. I imagine that's what will happen. I'm, I'm sure they'll probably be having briefings before the race itself anyway about this. But I, I, I'm actually expecting Valtteri Bottas to get power on Saturday. I think Lewis hasn't really been on it with uh, qualifying this year. And I've read Bull have had an advantage as well. But Lewis hasn't been at his best in terms of qualifying. And with how strong Valtteri Bottas is at Russia, I, I do. I expect him to get power. I really do. Yeah, I mean, Bottas was mighty in qualifying in Italy. Um, he got on pole in Friday qualifying, not necessarily... So he was the speed king, if you like, at that circuit, rather than pole position, which um, which uh, which he got as well, actually. I must tell a lie. Yeah, he did well done. <laughs> I just remembered he'd won that. You know what it is? He's clearly yeah, he started last. Race. I completely forgot there. It's like I had a yeah. massive brain fart there. Sorry, Valtteri. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm having a great day, you can tell. Um yeah, it is quite an interesting prospect because I think Mercedes will be hoping that Valtteri Bottas will maintain that level of performance that he showcased at the Italian Grand Prix because, you know, yes, of course, they can go on the radio and James one more time, just playing the hits for the fans, if you like, goes on the radio and says, Valtteri, it's James. Just for the, I mean, that would be funny, just, you know, for one more time. Um, just to let Lewis through to Lewis to get the win and get the points in the Drivers' Championship, which I'm sure Valtteri would be well aware of. And, you know, it will be interesting to see what he does. Um, I mean, the most hilarious thing I could imagine is James getting on the radio and then Valtteri just going, fuck you, and then just carrying on. You know, since we're we playing... Thought we, well, yeah, we thought since we were going to say that with the fastest lap thing, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah, we thought, you know, every time Valtteri does something, we we're expecting a, a classic radio message of some sort. I mean, we got a meme out of Valtteri when he looked back at that incident in the post-race interview between Max and Lewis and just come back and smiled. I thought that was hilarious. Um, but... Yeah, you just don't know with Valtteri. I'm sure Mercedes are hoping that Valtteri can continue that level of performance at a track that he's very happy racing at. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, who knows? I think the last thing that they'll be hoping for now that Valtteri has signed for Alfa Romeo for next season is that Valtteri Bottas makes it difficult for Lewis. I think that's something they won't want. But right now, they're in a pretty good position for the Constructors' Championship at very minimum. We'll have to wait and see. But this is a big weekend for Lewis Hamilton. Of course, as you mentioned, Courtney, the Italian Grand Prix was supposed to be an opportunity for Lewis to make ground and increase the lead of the championship in his favour at the time. He wasn't able to do that. And what was worse, they actually lost ground to Red Bull and Max Verstappen. It was a small amount, but they still lost ground to Max Verstappen in the championship. Um, So now this is kind of a position where Lewis has to capitalise, get that 100th win that seems like we've been waiting for ages for Lewis to get since the British Grand Prix. Um... I mean, first things first, Courtney, do you think Lewis is going to do it this weekend? Is it is he going to go for the 100 this weekend? Obviously, I hope he does, but I don't know. It, it just seems that it just seems that luck is against him at the moment. And, you know, and there is this talk about the weather being nifty. I, I, I obviously want him to do it, but I, I don't know. I just feel that the gods are against him at the moment. I really feel that this is meant to be Max Verstappen's year. 
that's how I feel right now. You know, with the with the regulation trade just going against Mercedes, you know, with the way that Max has stepped up as well, it's it's can it's going to be tough. But this is going to be Lewis's best opportunity, and he has to do it this weekend. He has to. Do you feel that if Lewis doesn't take the lead in the drivers' championship this weekend? Do you feel that that could be his best opportunity gone to try and catch Max yes. Verstappen? You really, you think so? Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I, I think at most of the other circuits, I think Red Bull have a slight advantage. So Lewis is going to have to recapture the form that he was in from sort of, sort of 2017 up until last year if he's to win this championship because he hasn't been at his best this season. He hasn't been terrible, but he hasn't been at his best and he has to be at his best to beat a slightly faster Red Bull and Max Verstappen. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. As I said already, I think this is proven to potentially be his toughest challenge of his career. I mean, the Rosberg one was insanely difficult um, and there was an element of, you know, bad fortune that did prevent him from overhauling Rosberg in the end. But the record books will say Rosberg was better over the season and that's that. But this season in particular, um, there's been a real battle against a driver that Lewis has no control over in terms of what he can do in similar machine. He just has nothing. So, you know, whilst Lewis has made mistakes this season, um, uncharacteristically, of course, there is still that that element there with Lewis Hamilton that he can turn it on. And there's still that capacity within him to raise his game to the level that we all feel is necessary to beat Max Verstappen. And it, it could require Lewis to be at his absolute best to do it. We've said often that Max Verstappen has had to drive at his absolute best and beyond that to beat Lewis. And I think in a lot of parts this season, he has done. But it does seem that perhaps Lewis needs to find similar levels to beat Max. We'll just have to wait and see. It's a big opportunity, but um, we'll have to wait and see what happens this weekend. But if anyone can do it, it's Lewis Hamilton. That's what he does. You know, he's been here before and he's done it over and over again. He's just got to do it one more time. We'll have to wait and see. Um, Sergio Perez, again, it could be a big weekend for him. He could very much be flying the flag for Red Bull this weekend if Max does take those engine penalties because, of course, Perez took his. Um, What are you expecting from him this weekend, Corny? Uh, Do you feel that he needs to prove a point this weekend and match Bottas? Um, Could he get involved in the battle with Lewis Hamilton and upset his weekend? Uh, It all depends on strategy. I I don't think he'll upset him on track at the start, let's say, but I think he could maybe upset him strategically if he comes out. I don't know if, if Perez does a long stint and then Lewis ends up behind him. He might be able to slow him down. But I think Perez's main name, which should actually be his primary goal given the team he's with, he needs to be finishing ahead of the, of the McLarens and the Ferraris. That's That needs to be his aim going into every weekend and he's not doing that consistently. He's really not. And he has to do it this weekend in order to help Red Bull, not only to help Max's challenge by taking points off Lewis and Valtteri, but also for the Constructors' Championship. Because right now, I've, I've been saying a few weeks now, I think Mercedes have the advantage because of the way that Valtteri is performing in um, in comparison to Sergio. Yeah, his race performances haven't been too bad. I mean, he made a few mistakes at the Italian race and arguably he could have finished ahead of Valtteri Bottas on the podium if he didn't make that mistake by... Um, not letting, you know, with the five-second penalty. But, um, yeah, it, it does seem that Perez, he does need to step up a bit more this weekend. I think he needs to put in a strong qualifying performance. Look, I, I know people, we said this before, I know people have been going on and on and on about this thing where Perez's car is not being developed um, and that Max's is, but I've not seen any evidence or any source of any credibility 
that has that has said that Perez, without any further conviction, that has um, that is not having his car developed. You know, people in people hear these rumors, and I hear them a lot. I don't know where he got traction from, but everyone keeps mentioning, even in the comments section of these videos, there are people that do mention this, and I'm wondering where has this come from? Like, why, why all of a sudden everyone's become an expert on how much Perez's car is being developed? And if Perez, if he was having this issue, surely someone would have mentioned it. And why would Red Bull not develop Perez's car when they're fighting for a constructors' championship? It makes absolutely no sense. So. You know, maybe there is a golfing class between the two cars, but not so much as like six or seven temps, which is usually the gap between the two in qualifying, if not more, um, which is astounding between two people in the same team. So I'm sorry, look, I'm, I'm sure some people have their reasons for suggesting that, but I don't believe for a second that Red well, Bull... Well, let us know, like, because, yeah. yeah, you're not having a go. I think that's the thing, you're not having a go. But if you have genuine evidence then please show us in the comment section because we're actually intrigued by it yeah forward me links if there are any credible mm. articles out there with any substantial evidence or proof to it please do let me know but um i just keep hearing it as an excuse all the time and i feel like it makes no sense for red bull to not develop the other car if they're putting all the resources in max's basket if you're like fair enough but why would you do that despite your constructors championship battle when you've clearly got a car from the start of the season that was good enough to win it to now go to a position where one car is going to do the whole thing on its own and the other one's just there to come forth. I just don't think that... And even then, that's not happening on a weekly basis. So, you know, it's not really... doesn't make sense, in my opinion. So, yeah, let us know, guys. Uh, I'm not disputing it. I just don't understand where that's all come from and where the evidence is for it. I just keep hearing it, but no one keeps giving me any, re any, any reference material, if you like, to it. Anyway, look, let's move on to Ferrari and McLaren. Now, of course, McLaren had an incredible weekend. Um, their first ever win in the Turbo Hybrid era, the first one two in over a decade, and it was the first one two of any team this season. Now that they've sort of come down from cloud nine, if you like, and that's not a pun on how long before their previous win, although it does fit quite nicely. How do you see their weekend going? Because if this is a power sensitive track and one that Mercedes excel at, should we expect McLaren to be excelling at as well? Maybe to a point where they could challenge for a podium and, or maybe another race win. Oh, it'd be nice to see Lando have a go at a win, wouldn't it? I think like, that, we're all waiting for it because we all know that Lando has the ability to be a race winner. So who knows, another crazy race, they could be in a mix. But what's going on with this Ferrari um, upgrade? You know, they've been very bullish about this this upgrade. And uh, didn't they say it's coming after Monza? Yeah, they said it was coming after Monza. There were some people saying it could come this weekend. However, Mattia Bonotto has kind of kept his cars to his chest on this one. I think it's more likely to come at Turkey, which is in uh, okay. two weeks' time. It could happen at the Russian Grand Prix. I think it'd be quite beneficial to Ferrari for it to happen sooner rather than later. I mean, look, it was a tough weekend for them in terms of the competition. I think if you'd have offered them the results that they got at Monza, they'd have been quite happy with that under the circumstances. But the fact that McLaren won first and second have got a huge haul of points now to the point where they're, what, 13 and a half points ahead of Ferrari? Ferrari can't afford to lose any more ground. No. And these two teams have been literally neck and neck, like they've been swapping third place all throughout the season. And it seems that McLaren dealt a huge blow to Ferrari in the way that Ferrari did something similar to them as Zandvoort a couple of weeks before that. So they do need this new engine upgrade. If it's worth as much as 10 to 15 brake horsepower, some people estimate, although that might be a little bit optimistic, it might be more closer to 10. That's still quite a lot. 
And given the strengths of that Ferrari car and its obvious weaknesses, you could see a Monza. It was just as quick as the McLaren in clear air, but it just couldn't get anywhere near them in the straights. So if Ferrari can not necessarily close the gap to nothing, but bridge it to a degree where it's only five or ten brake horsepower down, that could be what swings the uh, the pendulum in their favour in this battle. So the sooner that they bring those engine upgrades to the car, the better. But that being said, they will take an engine penalty when they bring that new engine spec as well. So uh, okay. there well, is this a, would be a good yeah. place to do it, like we're seeing oh, yeah. with Red Bull. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Um, you know, but of course, it, you know, at the very, very least, or the worst, they finished behind McLaren, but ahead of everyone else. I think that's what we're expecting from Ferrari as the minimum at the moment. It seems that a majority of tracks, yes, there is a bit of a burden, perhaps with an Alpine or an Alpha Tauri in the way, but they usually manage to clear those in most races. Um, so, yeah, it's a very tight battle between them two. Of course, we should mention Daniel Ricciardo, of course, the hero, the star at Monza. Um, last weekend, uh, sorry, the weekend before, I should say at Monza, that was a huge weekend for his confidence. He said quite famously that, um, he never left. He was just, you know, he was just uh, on the sidelines for a while, but, um, I've probably misquoted that terribly. Nevertheless, of course, it was a huge performance from him. What are we expecting from him this weekend? Is this going to be the confidence booster he needs to get more out of the car and perhaps put him alongside Lando in terms of performance or do we feel that perhaps Monza may have just been a one-off where everything just fell right for him and he did a brilliant job on the day well we was all waiting for that breakthrough um, weekend for him and we saw it you know we, we, we've been saying it all season yeah he hasn't been the guy that we all know but we've, we was always waiting for him to turn it around but now is the time for him to be consistent with it um he might maybe he's you know, he found something in the car that he liked in Monza maybe he's Figured things out. Um, fingers crossed for McLaren that he has, because I think you know he's a he's a good driver. He's a good personality. I think he's great for the sport. So and he's one he's one of those guys that if your driver if your driver doesn't win or if your driver goes out, Daniel's one of the guys going right. If, if my if my guy isn't there, I want him to win. You know, I think Daniel's everyone's second driver. Um, you know, he is, and and he's fast, so he has the ability to do it, and I hope he does. Mm. Well, he's certainly proven it. And, uh, you know, there have been some great drivers in that team that have been unsuccessful in bringing back the glory days for them, or at least one moment where they can celebrate the top step of the opponent. And he's done that now. It certainly does motivate and inspire Lando Norris now to try and go that one step further, because it did seem this season that if anyone was going to do it at McLaren, it was going to be him. And, you know, to see, despite the fact that he got his own best performance of the season, and it was a great day for both of them, and he shared in that, of course, there will be a part of him thinking, I really wish that that was me and that Daniel had come second because I think that would have been a race Lando would have loved to have won. Um, I think it's only a matter of time for Lando before he wins the race based on what we've seen this season and how good that McLaren is. Um, could it be this weekend, Courtney? Do you think perhaps if the similar opportunity finds itself to Lando on this circuit, perhaps he might be a bit more bold in trying to put his name on the top step of the podium rather than his teammate? Yeah, absolutely. As, as I said, he's he's a, he's a race winner in the making. So it is a, it is a matter of when, not if. One hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Um, as I said, yeah, I think that battle with Ferrari is going to be close again. But depending on what happens with the engine front with Ferrari, I would still bet on McLaren to be have to have the superior all round package this weekend. But it could be the last time that I say that throughout the rest of the season. I think it may fall back into Ferrari's hands for the rest of the season. So quite an intriguing battle. 
And I'm certainly hoping it goes to the very end of the season, as I'm sure a lot of people are, because it's certainly proven to be one of the more exciting battles this season between those two teams. And I think one of the more admirable. I don't think we've had too much bitterness, if any at all, between those two teams. And it's really nice to see all fought in the right spirit and made the best team win. That's all that we can ask for. Um, The midfield battle, let's gloss over this one. Now, Alpine and Alpha Tauri still very close together. Alpine leading the way at the moment by 11 points to Alpha Tauri. Aston Martin drifting further and further away now. But um, last weekend, or the weekend before at Monza, I should forget, um, Alpha Tauri had a nightmare. Both Pierre Gasly having a fantastic Friday qualifying, ended up crashing out at Grand Curve after his front wing got caught out of his car. And then, of course, both cars retiring at the start of the race. Um, Yuki Tsunoda didn't even start the race. It was that bad. Um, I mean, that is a huge blow for them. And AlphaTauri did punish them to a degree on that re- on that regard. But um, how critical is this battle with the mid or the best of the best of the rest, if you like, between Alpine and AlphaTauri in particular? How important is it going to be for AlphaTauri to try and get back ahead of Alpine? Because it does seem for a while now that Alpine, particularly Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon, has obviously upped his game as well. They seem to have stolen a march, and this momentum that they're on doesn't seem to be slowing anytime soon. You hit the nail on the head there. Um, the problem for Alpha Tauri is that Pierre Gasly is carrying that team. Might sound harsh on Yuki Snyder, but that's a fact. He's carrying that team. And as you said, Alpine are on up with trajectory. They're in a good place. Fernando Alonso's found his sweet spot again. Even Esteban Ocon, he, he won in Hungary. He's in a good place right now. If For me right now, Alpine look like the team that are going to win that midfield battle. And obviously with the amount of points they could have possibly lost at Alpha Tauri last week, they need to hit back now because right now it looks like Alpine are going to sweep that midfield away. Yeah, it, it does seem that way at the moment. And Fernando Alonso in particular has been exemplary this season. I mean, it's funny because we talked about how Aston Martin were looking at Sebastian Vettel to be a bit like what Alonso has been to Alpine. Um, I mean, we ask this over and over and over again. I mean, are you surprised that Fernando Alonso has really come to the fore this season and made a return to such a degree where you just think if he had a better car underneath him, could he win races and compete for championships? I mean, it still seems to be there, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in some ways I'm surprised, but in other ways I'm not. You know, it doesn't matter how good you are. You can be away from Formula 1 and struggle. But Fernando Alonso, yeah, he had a slow start, but he's come back as, as if he's never been away. And it just shows how exceptionally talented the guy is. I think, you know, we look back through Fernando's career, I think, his ability alone is more than a two-time world champion. We all feel that. But some of the decisions that he made affected his career path. But in terms of raw pace, he's he's got it. And he's a good addition to... Well, he's, he's well, not an addition as such. He's come back. But, you know, you want to be seeing drivers of Fernando's calibre competing at their best in Formula 1. So I'm pleased to see it. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, one thing I did want to mention on AlphaTauri, rather a controversial one, um, and... I'm going to get this out of the way now, guys. If any of these comments that um, that were made, and I'm quoting these comments, are offensive in any regards, then I will apologise in advance. However, these are quoted comments. Um, Courtney, what I'm talking about in particular was the comments that David Coulthard made on Yuki Tsunoda. I don't know if you followed this. Um, no. So uh, this was an article in motorsportweek.com that I saw where David Coulthard had made comments about Yuki Tsunoda that were rather aggressive. And I want to get your thoughts on this. Now, I'm not okay. going to I'm not going to draw into the context or any 
um, racial derogatory connotations that can be drawn from this from an Asian perspective. Um, but Yuki Tsunoda um, spoke um, in an interview and he was quite surprised that uh, Alpha Tauri were going to retain him for next season because he admittedly said he wasn't very good this season. He'd struggled. Um, and whilst grateful for the opportunity, I think Yuki's very, Yuki's one of those drivers that are very, very open. English is not his first language, of course, although he does speak it rather well. So I think the way he was talking in this interview was, as Yuki often does, he's usually quite open, quite um, chirpy, quite, you know, uh, how can I put this in the right way? Um, very positive, but in a sort of mm-hmm. like fun way. But obviously, you know, there are some levels of seriousness, but it, it seemed like he was quite relieved to a degree that Alpha Tara keeping him on. David Coulthard responded by saying that he thinks that Yuki Shinoda should pack his little bag and go home now because he won't be in Formula One beyond the end of next year. Now, I when I first read that, when Coulthard was talking about his little bag, I think he was just making a jibe over the fact that Yuki's quite short. Uh, one of the shortest drivers in motorsport. Um, I, I Like I said, I don't know the the connotations of this and how this is uh how this can be taken as offensive by certain communities um in that regard but obviously i'm well aware that it can be seen that owing to the nature of some people and certain cultures that might be shorter stereotypically that they might take offense to that um i'm not going to go into that because i don't know anything about that and i'm not going to pretend to um so i do apologize if people out there do find that offensive this is just quoted this isn't my opinion this is quoted from what Coulthard said but if we strip that all the way and just take it for what it is at face value where Coulthard thinks yuki is lucky to be in the car and should forget about it because he won't be in it in 2023 do you think that's fair or do you feel that Coulthard is perhaps prejudging a bit too soon and perhaps needs to give yuki a chance for next season because there is potential there but clearly we haven't seen the Yuki Sano that we were expecting from his successes in F2. Yeah, I don't know. He must have got out of the wrong side of the bed that day uh, because it's the way that you worded it. Yeah, we have our doubts about Yuki's long-term future in Formula 1. But to say, forget about it because you're going to be gone in 2023, geez, a bit harsh, isn't it? Like, there's, look, people are entitled to their opinions, but I don't know. If he's been retained... What's what's the point? What's the point thinking about twenty twenty three? He's got another not he's got another opportunity. That's yeah, the way I yeah. see it. So, you know, I have my opinion on certain drivers I feel shouldn't be in Formula One or certain drivers who should be in Formula One. But he's been retained. So it's not it's not like it's open to debate. So I don't I don't know why I don't know why David Crawford's kind of carrying that kind of energy towards a decision that's already been made. I find it a bit odd. Yeah, it was a bit of a strange one. I think Coulthard was just probably annoyed at the fact that the way that Yuki probably said it with, said his comments in a manner that he probably felt like he wasn't taking it seriously, Mm. that his situation is quite volatile, which is understandable. However, I do think the comments themselves, again, stripping away any sort of offensive racial derogatory connotations that are taken from this, from certain cultures that find it offensive, um, the comments at face value I thought were quite harsh. You know, and he did say, you know, he went on to say, what planet is he from? I think he should pack his little bag and go home now because that is not the voice of a racing driver. Now, as I said, you know, in interviews that I've seen of Yuki Tsunoda, that is not, it's not uncommon to see Yuki talk in a manner where it, it comes across from someone who understands English as a first language and understands body language that we use when we talk about certain things that 
Yuki might not have been taking this the situation seriously, but without the context, without understanding that that's how Yuki's been a lot of the time, it's very easy to misinterpret that. So I think that's what David Coulthard has probably done. I don't think Yuki thinks for a second that he's not taking... I don't think Yuki's not taking this seriously. I think from mm. what we've seen on uh, the way he's driven and some of the stuff he's said on the radio and the way he's reacted, that I think he's taking this very seriously, um, perhaps too seriously, and that he needs to relax a bit and we'll see the best of Yuki Sonoda. So, yeah, very strange set of comments from David Coulthard. Again, for those of you that find those offensive, I do apologise, but this is just quoted from what DC had said. Uh, not my thoughts, or not, certainly not my thoughts at all. Um, so let's move on to something a little less controversial. Um, the situation at the back of the field. Now, of course, Williams in a bit of a league of their own at the moment. Um, I, I mean, again, point scorers again at Mons. I think George Russell, um, was it P9 or something like that? Um, I believe so. Yeah, so he got points again, George Russell. He just can't stop scoring at the moment. Um, it's amazing. Um Long story short, are we expecting Williams to score points this weekend or do we think the run is going to come to um, not an abrupt end, but more, uh, how can I put this, uh, revert back to type, perhaps, is it, or normal business resumed? Who knows? They're riding a wave at the moment. Um, but every point's a bonus for Williams at the moment. I've, I think they're obviously not expecting to finish any higher in the Structures Championship and they're very, very, very unlikely to be caught. So they can really enjoy the rest of the season and enjoy the rest of George Russell's time with the team. So you know, I think Williams are going to be enjoying it. I think I think the, the weight's been taken off their shoulders. So I think Williams are in a good place right now. Yeah, they very much seem to be. And of course, Latifi confirmed for next season as well, alongside Alex Albon. That will be quite interesting um, how they will get on. But, it's, you know, I think, as I said, both drivers now they've got their futures secured seem to be driving with a lease of life. It's, it's quite nice for drivers mentally. You can see how much it affects them in a positive aspect that once they've got their future secure for next season, they don't have to worry about where they're going to be driving next year, that they seem to be driving better, like the handbrake's taken off or they think a bit more freely and they more often than not make the right decisions rather than hold back out of fear that they've got something to lose, where in this case they clearly don't. So yeah, more power to Williams. It's nice to see them doing well and um, yeah, long may that continue. I mean, who knows? They might even catch Aston Martin at this rate, but probably unlikely, but you never, ever know. Um, Alfa Romeo, I'm not going to draw too much on Kimi Raikkonen, although he is returning, uh, which is good news. He's going to be returning to this the Grand Prix this weekend after his uh, hiatus, if you like, when he had to recover from COVID. So it's good to see Kimi back. But Giovinazzi, I think this is where the focus is going to be on him. As of now, we don't know who's going to be driving the Alfa Romeo next season. Um, although I certainly hope that by the time this episode comes out um, on Wednesday morning that we don't have confirmation and we can sort of kind of let that one simmer a bit for a while until we get it. But, you know, with all that being said, until it's confirmed, in theory, there is still something for Giovinazzi to fight for. Do you feel, from his perspective, that he still has a chance to keep this seat and that perhaps this race could be his last chance to demonstrate that he's capable of staying in Formula 1? Or do you think perhaps it's uh, too little too late? Possibly too little, too late. Um, he's actually shown some improvements in the last couple of races, um, but I don't know. I, I think I think Alfa Romeo are looking for a little bit of a reboot, so I think they'll be looking. To, yeah, as we discussed earlier on, I think we know who's going to replace him, and with the money that the replacement's going to bring as well, I I, I think Giovinazzi knows. But you know, the only thing Giovinazzi can fight for is keeping his stock high enough to 
be in consideration for other racing series. I think that's that that's where his goal will be to get to get I don't know, maybe like Formula E or DTM, who knows? But that's what he'll be doing. He'll be working on his racing stock for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think that's a good thing about Formula One is that once you leave Formula One, there's options literally everywhere. Like every other series practically wants you because they know from you racing in Formula One, they know you're good. It doesn't necessarily mean that every driver in Formula One is automatically one of the best drivers in the world. We know that's not true. There are plenty of drivers quite capable in other series that could very much drive, you know, if they accustomed themselves into a Formula One car, they could do some damage. I mean, uh, one driver in particular I would like to see in Formula One is uh, Pato Award or Colson Herter from the Indy races. Incidentally, you know, Colson did rather well at the uh, race at the Laguna Seca over the weekend. One driver that did rather well was Roman Grosjean, of course, getting his third podium of the season in IndyCar. And that was really, really fun stuff to watch Grosjean fight his way through the field. And I think a lot of F1 fans, myself included, very much invested themselves in the Indy series this year, just to keep an eye on how he's doing. And of course, you know, it's working wonders. So the options there for Giovinazzi, I think if there's a team out there in Indy that looking at Gio, I think he could do a good job there. Of course, there are other series as well. As you mentioned, DTM, Formula E might be looking for drivers. I think Gio could do well in those series. So there are so many avenues in racing that I think weren't open to Formula One drivers in the past that have very much become available to them. And and they all seem to be doing rather well. Maybe better. So... Yeah, we'll have to wait and see how that works. But of course, it does feel like it's either last chance for saloon for Giovinazzi or perhaps it's too little, so late. we'll have to wait and see. Um, I'm not going to worry too much about Haas. Uh, I think we kind of know what's going to happen between them. We just, hopefully, they don't go into each other, but Mazepin might feel a bit of a extra boost to try and be a bit more aggressive in front of his home crowd. Perhaps the only place on the calendar where he's not going to feel isolated or feel like he's the bad guy. Uh, take that for what you will. But let's go into our predictions for the Grand Prix this weekend. So, Courtney, I'm going to come to you first. Who's going to be on pole position? What's going to be our top three? And give me a bold prediction. Uh, so, Valtteri pole. And then top three will be, or the South will be, Lewis, Valtteri, and I'm going to say Lando in third. Okay. Uh, bold prediction. Hmm. Hmm. I see a bold prediction because I look at Ricardo, but Ricardo's already kind of done it. <laughs> uh, right, I'm gonna gonna think of one quickly. We, we might we might see an Aston Martin do well. Maybe maybe Sebastian Vettel in the top five. We'll go with that. Okay. So for me, I am gonna go. Uh, pole position, Valtteri Bottas. I think he's going to nail it again in qualifying. I think the race, uh, the result, I'm going to say, well, this is kind of a spoiler for my bowl prediction, but I'm going to go with Hamilton to win, Bottas mm-hmm. to second, because I think Bottas is going to be instructed to let Lewis go, and Verstappen third. And my bowl prediction is if Verstappen has to start at the back, he will finish on the podium. Okay. But obviously that was already spoiled. Yeah. But I think that's I think that yeah. counts as a bold prediction given the nature of Verstappen starting yeah. at the back. I mean, look, Valtteri said he was going to finish on the podium in Monza. Nobody thought for a second, given the calibre of the field ahead of him, that was doable. And then he ended up doing it. And he looked rather smug about it. And to be fair, fair play, Valtteri. You showed us all what you can do. And that was fun to watch. So more of the same would be nice. Um, I think that's all pretty much that we've got covered for this episode, Courtney. Of course, thanks for joining us once again. Offering Always your insight. 
Um, I said, say thanks for joining us. You co-host this with me. You're as welcome to this as much as I am. Um, but anyway, guys, of course, if you have enjoyed this, please do let us know by giving us a nice little like on YouTube and subscribe to the channel. If you haven't already, please help us get to 500 subs. We're close, but we need your help. That one big push. So if there's anyone that you know that aren't subbed and that they are enjoying our content, give them a little nudge in the right direction and give us a nice little subscribe. I'd really appreciate that. Of course, if you are following us on your favorite podcasting platform, please do give us a follow on there if you can. And if you can, please leave us a nice little review and feel free to share it around with any F1 fans that you know or any fans that you know that might be interested in the podcast. It's always nice to listen to podcasts when uh, you're in the gym or going for a walk or in your travels. I know I do. I listen to so many different podcasts. There's really, really good ones out there. I mean, Courtney, if you've got any particular podcasts that you enjoy off the fly that you want to give a handy shout out to, it doesn't have to be Formula One. It could be anything. Oh, I think you have to stick with Formula One. Gonna stick with the <laughs> Formula One community. Just, just look up F1 on Spotify and just pick any. Obviously, pick ours first. Pick D and F1. I think that's what you need to type in. Yeah, that's it. Point D and F1, and you see some of the other people that we've uh, done collaborations with. Go check them out. That's what I say. Yeah, I mean, we've done a few with quite some really good ones. Um, Outlet podcast, Outlet F1 podcast. Our friends over in America. They do a great job. Of course, our Canadian friends at Project Dive Bomb now, they've changed their name. It's quite a nice little name there. Do check them out. Really good guys over there. Aaron and James, I remember working with them in particular. Um, I mean, one of my favourite ones off the cuff, I think it's probably quite a popular one, is um, Jack Makes Happy Hour. That's always a good one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's always a funny one. He does some work with West Ham there, so of course. Yeah, that's right. He does, isn't he, old Jack? So, uh, yeah, no, good for him. Um, I mean, I'm a bit biased as an Arsenal fan, so I listen to a few Arsenal podcasts as well. Uh, I'd love to appear on a few of those really big ones, but uh, yeah, I'd have to get bigger myself in order to become relevant in the community, I guess. But look, we're getting sidetracked, guys. As I said, please do support us if you can, and we'd really appreciate a nice review as well if you're able to leave us one. But uh, until then, guys, of course, next episode will be the Russian Grand Prix review coming out to you on the Monday. But until then, guys, please stay safe. Thanks for tuning in once again, and thanks for being patient with us whilst we had a little break. And we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. Podcast Network.